If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. A psychopath is probably the closest definition to what happened with him. Because how else do you do that? How else do you put so many people that you know and supposedly are friends with through that and then just see it over and over every day and relish in it? Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And before we start our show, just a big reminder that we're going to be at CrimeCon this year. It's May 1st through 3rd in Orlando, Florida. We want to party with you, so go get your tickets. That's right. We're doing a live show. We're doing a live show. Our first live show ever. If you want to come see me embarrass myself in (laughs) person. In real time. Which, instead of just audio, that would be the place to do it. This is going to be the place to be. But, uh, Billy, what day is it? It's National Prom Posal Day. Oh my! Isn't prom in May? Name? Yeah, but you have to ask somebody now. Two I months in what advance. What if you have a boyfriend, a new boyfriend between now and May? You know what? By the way, do you call it prom or the prom? Prom. prom. It is prom. No, it's the prom. That's weird. Maybe in olden times. <laughs> Back in the eighteen hundreds, they had to add the in front of everything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. Occam's razor is a problem-solving principle that states that the explanation in which you have to make the fewest assumptions is the correct one. Or more succinctly, the simplest explanation is the best one. And most of the time, this principle serves us well. Even in true crime, we all know the phrases, the husband did it, the boyfriend did it. But sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes an answer comes from out of the blue. And today's case takes us back to February 9th of 2010. The song topping the charts was TikTok by Kesha and A Dangerous Man and Dante's Inferno were in theaters. And the setting for today's case is Wenatchee, Washington. This small, picturesque town is like something out of a Norman Rockwell painting. 
The town considers itself the apple capital of the world. And they have a yearly apple blossom parade and festival. And this parade has marching bands, has floats, and it features a performance by a local high school dance team called the Appalettes. Right. And one of the dancers on this Appalettes dance team was 17-year-old high school student named Mackenzie Cowell. And Mackenzie was a senior at Wenatchee High School. And she was described as beautiful, vibrant, bubbly, and friendly. In addition to all of that, Mackenzie was really ambitious. On top of being on the dance team and her studies, she also did modeling on the side and decided to learn cosmetology in her spare time. So after school, she took classes at the Academy of Hair Design in downtown Wenatchee. In what free time Mackenzie had, aside from all of that, she spent with her boyfriend, and his name was Joaquin Villasano. So in order to learn more about Mackenzie, we're going to introduce our first degree, Caitlin. And she and Mackenzie met at the Academy of Hair Design. So we asked her, what was Mackenzie like? She was fun. So I started beauty school the same day she did. Um, we were in the same freshman class. She came in for the high school half day, and I was there full days because I graduated high school, and that was a full day thing. So she'd come in at noon and we were kind of part of the same little group of friends or like seven of us that kind of tended to migrate together and sit together and study together. And so she was part of that and she was so fun. She was always smiling and laughing. She was dancing. She always loved to dance. Even during class, she had the most beautiful hair. It was so long. You know, of course, that's what we're studying. So we're all jealous of each other's hair at the time, you know. But um, no, she was just a, a sunshine. She's bubbly. And on the morning of February 9th, Mackenzie was going through the motions and preparing for another busy, normal day. She got up, got ready for school, and then talked to her dad as she was packing up her books. She and her dad decided that they'd have dinner together that evening when Mackenzie got home from school. They agreed to eat around 6 p.m. They said their goodbyes, and she left the house between 7 and 7.30 in the morning. So it's nearing the end of the day. Mackenzie's dad looks at the clock, and it's 5.40 p.m. And he's thinking that classes at the Hair Academy let out at 5. So Mackenzie should be home right now. He calls her cell phone. And it goes straight to voicemail. He calls again. Straight to voicemail again. This is really odd. And his feelings that start as irritation, they transform into anger as the hours pass. We've done that before when we're calling up somebody. It's like, where are you? Where are you? Now I'm pissed, but now I'm scared. Well, and you have kids. It's like yeah. you call the first time, you're irritated. Yeah. And then if they don't answer the third time, you're like, oh, no. shit. Yeah. It's okay, though. Call me back. And then it's like they call you back and you're relieved and frustrated. But like, yeah, you know, I can imagine the feeling. Yeah. And this time, though, that didn't happen because Mackenzie didn't make it home by her 8 p.m. curfew. So this is the situation right now. Right. And Mackenzie's parents started calling around to her friends and also to her boyfriend to see where she could be. And no one had seen her or knew what could be holding her up. The worry persisted and spread from her family into her group of friends. Mackenzie was responsible and very close with her parents. This is not normal behavior for her. Hours passed with no word from Mackenzie. And then her dad's phone rings. 
The initial hope is obviously that it would be her, but it wasn't. On the line was the sheriff's deputy. They found a red car registered in his name and used that information to track him down. This car, of course, is Mackenzie's, but she was not with the vehicle. A rancher living in a remote area nearly 40 miles away, called Mission Ridge, called the police and reported an abandoned red car in his driveway. Once on the phone, Mackenzie's father told the cops that his daughter had been missing for hours. Immediately, law enforcement understood the seriousness of the situation and called in a team to look for evidence at the scene. They discovered Mackenzie's purse and some of her clothes in the car. Her debit card and cell phone were missing. And they found one pair of footprints leading away from the scene. So to any parent, this would be a terrifying scenario. There's no reason that Mackenzie would have gone anywhere without her purse. And there's absolutely no reason for her to be in this remote area alone. So something was terribly wrong. And the Chelan County Sheriff's Office began searching for Mackenzie of multiple different ways, including by helicopter. They were combing the area near where the car, car was found. Search warrants were issued for Mackenzie's phone records and all of her social media activity. And at the request of the sheriff, the FBI was called in to assist with the investigation. So I had actually left that Friday for a week. I took a time off for the following week and I had talked to her the Monday I left, actually. So I left Monday, signed all my paperwork and then came up to where I'm from. And it must have been Tuesday and then Wednesday is when I woke up and I had messages from my friends like, have you seen Mackenzie or heard from her? She, you know, she didn't go show up at her dad's last night. So that must have been Wednesday that I got those messages. Well, my initial thought was that, for one thing, it was a joke, but then maybe like she'd been in an accident because where her dad lives, she would have had to drive up river. And I was like, well, maybe she got in an accident and, you know, she's stranded on the side of the road or something, you know, where something happened in her car, left the roadway or something. Close to 100 people packed downtown Wenatchee tonight for a candlelight vigil for 17-year-old Mackenzie Cowell, missing since Tuesday. Mackenzie was last seen leaving beauty school. Her car was found 40 miles from her home. Her disappearance is so baffling because, by all accounts, Mackenzie is a very responsible person, a good student, and involved in a number of community activities. And that's why detectives say it's unlikely she would leave the area without telling anyone where she was going. Mackenzie was last seen leaving beauty school on Tuesday afternoon in Wenatchee. Her 2000 red Pontiac at Grand Prix was found a few hours later off Pitcher Canyon Road, 40 miles from her home in Orondo. In that car, detectives found Mackenzie's purse. However, her cell phone and debit card are missing. Six different agencies are now involved in the search, including an FBI team specializing in child abductions. Detectives have filed search warrants with MySpace, Facebook, and Verizon, hoping those records can provide the key to finding Mackenzie. Detectives also spent the day interviewing Mackenzie's friends and dance teammates. I'm really upset because, like, she is my best friend, so, like, I do want her back, so. As concern in the community is escalating, the detectives are working to pinpoint the last communication and the last time Mackenzie had been seen before she went missing. So they determined that she had attended her morning classes that day, arrived at the beauty school, and a beauty school classmate explained that Mackenzie exited the building shortly after 3 o'clock, 
and had told everyone that she'd be back in 15 minutes, but she never returned. So the police went to the school. They pulled the surveillance footage that depicted Mackenzie walking away from the school and towards her car in the parking lot before driving away. Once police received Mackenzie's cell records, they learned that right around this time, when she got into her car, presumably, she sent a text message to her boyfriend, Joaquin, that said, hey, what's up? And this was also the last time Mackenzie used her phone. Meanwhile, a search of the area where Mackenzie's car was found continued for four days. And at 1 p.m. on the afternoon of February 13th, their worst fears were realized. On the banks of the Columbia River, near a resort community about 20 miles away from Monachi, and 50 yards from a vacant house that was for sale, they discovered the body of a female. She was fully clothed with her feet in the water. It was Mackenzie, and it was clear that she had been brutally murdered. This discovery sent shockwaves through this idyllic community. Her family and friends were beyond crushed. Mackenzie wasn't missing. She wasn't just dead. Someone had brutally taken her life. I shut down. I didn't want to... I was at a birthday party when I got the news that they had found a body. It hadn't been identified, but I was like, really, how many other young girls, women are missing right from this area? So I was like, I don't, I don't want to know who it is. I don't want them to identify. I don't, I don't want to know. So I just kind of shut it down, and I didn't want to acknowledge that it was her. It, and then it, just the fear and the, the sadness that she's gone. It, that all set in, and it just makes you want to hide. It was like watching a movie, and you're in it. It was just so bizarre. Like, we live in a small town, and how that was such a gruesome thing. How did that end up here? Like, to me, it was that should have happened in Seattle or even Spokane. Why is it in Wenatchee? How could somebody do this and why? This isn't the kind of place where murders happen. And Mackenzie was a perfect child, didn't break the rules, didn't do anything unsavory. She's the last person that this should have happened to. And everyone struggled to make sense of it. So an autopsy determined Mackenzie's cause of death to have been strangulation and stab wounds to the neck. And there was also blunt force trauma to her head. And it also seemed that Mackenzie's killer had tried to cut off one of her arms after her death. And a knife was found and it was still stuck in her shoulder. The medical examiner found no evidence that she had been sexually assaulted. The wounds she sustained were awful, but the results of the autopsy prompted a really glaring question. If this heinous crime wasn't sexually motivated, and that's not necessarily to to mean that, like, listen, a lot of crimes can be sexually motivated even if there's no penetration, there's no nothing. What could have possibly compelled someone to kill this innocent 17-year-old high school student? And following the discovery of Mackenzie's body, law enforcement assembled the Mackenzie Cowell Task Force, which is a multi-agency police group dedicated to solving her murder. They started by looking and speaking to those closest to her, as they do. They questioned her family and her boyfriend, Joaquin. And of course, he's upset and in shock over what has happened to his girlfriend. Police questioned him at length before asking him whether he'd be willing to take a lie detector test. Joaquin agreed. The first question was, do you know what happened to Mackenzie? 
and Joaquin apparently failed the question. Could Joaquin have killed Mackenzie? And like Alexa said in the beginning, it's always the husband. It's always the boyfriend. It's the easiest answer. The cops were looking at him hard, but at this point, they had no physical evidence tying him to the crime. They kept him on their radar, but continued to explore their other possibilities. There was a lot of rumors going around about, you know, family involvement. Obviously, that's stuff that is ridiculous sometimes. Not all the time, but in this case, it was completely off. And then her boyfriend was not that type of person from what I understood and what she sounded like talking about him. So it was, I didn't have any clue. And it's at this point that the police learn about some of Mackenzie's family dynamics. Her parents were divorced and her mother had a boyfriend who Mackenzie was not that thrilled about. The guy's name is Joey Fisher. And he and Mackenzie had apparently got into like this huge argument the day before she had gone missing. And the police questioned him. But in a situation similar to Joaquin, their read on him was inconclusive. This guy could be involved, but they didn't have much evidence. More investigation would be needed. And there was no, nothing really glaring that was setting off alarm bells about that. And in cases like this, police are lucky to have one good lead. And thus far, we have two. But a third was about to come into play. And this would complicate the investigation and horrify onlookers. A woman named Liz Reed came forward claiming to have information about Mackenzie's murder. And you have to know, Liz is a complex character. She was a college student, a former drug dealer. And at the time this happened, she'd also been a police informant. And Liz told the police that she knew who had killed Mackenzie. She said it was two drug dealers named Sam Cuevas and Emmanuel Saros. And she said it had all been a case of mistaken identity. The two men supposedly believed that Mackenzie was a police informant. And the next thing that Liz said chilled them to their core. It was spine tingling. Liz claimed to have seen a snuff film of Mackenzie's murder. She further claimed that Sam Cuevas admitted to her, I choked that bitch to shut her up. And this is a jaw-dropping story. It was as horrific as it was bizarre. Could this be true? And if so, how did Mackenzie cross paths with these men? Liz continued and described the alleged murder weapon, and she also gave police a ring, which she claimed had belonged to Mackenzie. Liz had this ring in her possession because Emmanuel had sent her back to the murder site after it was all done to go back and find the ring, probably so they couldn't be Clean tied back. Yeah, right. So at this point, heads are spinning because there's a lot of people at play here that the police are looking at. There's Joaquin, Mackenzie's boyfriend. There's Joey Fisher, Mackenzie's mother's boyfriend. Then there's Sam and Emmanuel. So who killed Mackenzie? Well, and there's also like a stranger theory. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, they're always. Well, because yeah. Caitlin said that she was scared. She actually didn't come back to beauty school when she heard what happened. She's like, I need more time off. Like, they got to catch this guy before I go back to school. Yeah. So, I mean, while uh, Emmanuel and uh, Sam are strangers, there's also the idea that, like, she also described Wenatchee as this very, it's in the center of Washington. It's transient. If you have to go from south to north or north to south, you pass through Wenatchee. Yeah. So, he's she's like, tons of tourists, tons of, like, strangers in and out. Super possible that it's, it's a random person. They looked at Joaquin at length, and they learned that this young couple 
had a solid relationship and they rarely fought. But perhaps more importantly, on top of that, Joaquin had an airtight alibi and his cell phone activity put him in another area. And the same was was the case for Joey Fisher. He had a proven alibi, so he really could not have been the one to kill Mackenzie either. Right. So the police turned their attention back to Liz. They needed to pressure test her story as wild as it was. I mean, they couldn't discount it. They had to look into it. So they showed the ring that Liz claimed to be Mackenzie's to Mackenzie's family. None of them recognized it as belonging to her. As Joaquin said the same thing. He's never seen this ring before. But there was a picture of her wearing the so, ring. So uh, we watched a 48 hours about this case. Yeah. But I don't. It was like they were holding a silver ring and the picture was just a silver ring. And I just don't. It was like a silver ring with like a little ball on it. But it's also like you could have bought that ring from anywhere. It's I mean, very like. It's so. It's, it's so, not like a grandma's heirloom ring that no, is it's unique. not that specific. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Liz is a complex character. You don't know why someone would lie about something like this. But, you know, nothing comes to fruition in the sense that, like, there are gaping holes in Liz's story. Why would these men have targeted Mackenzie as an informant? Why would they think she was an informant? Mackenzie didn't do drugs. There was no connection between Mackenzie and these guys. No documented communication between them. Uh, Mackenzie had no reason to be in these guys' paths and it's hard to imagine how they would have come in contact with her so you have to understand they had surveillance of her walking to her car her last text was to her boyfriend how did these guys find her how did they come in like it doesn't make any sense um and for she's 17 these are older hardened criminals it's just yeah it's weird there's there's no reason that they should be you know associated with each other but besides all that Sam Cuevas and Emmanuel Saros were interviewed at length and produced really solid alibis. There were many witnesses who, in phone records that they had that placed them elsewhere on the day Mackenzie disappeared. It's at this point that Liz's credibility came under fire. And she, then, on top of everything else, she recanted her story and said it was a lie. Right. And, you know, you have to know, this goes back and forth. She then goes back and said, I recanted because I felt threatened. I recanted because I thought you were going to arrest me for the murder. She has all these excuses for her recantment. Yeah. Because today she says it's true. It's just sketch. It's just sketchy. That was just crazy. We didn't really hear about that too much for a while because at the beauty school, they were keeping us very um, informed but guarded. and. That whole summer, we were actually, the police were there doing DNA swabs and then taking us up to the police station, which was like a couple blocks away. We'd walk up there in groups of four and all of us be interviewed throughout the summer. You know, this was going on for months. So that theory, that drug thing that the girl, I think her name was Liz, brought up, it just didn't seem to fit because they were talking to us and interviewing us. So I don't know her history or her story, but it, it was almost like it was an attention thing, you know? So despite the fact that Mackenzie's killer had not yet been brought to justice, her loved ones in the community decided to come together and have a celebration of her life. A memorial service was held for Mackenzie at the town Toyota Center in Wenatchee. 1,800 people attended the celebration of her life and shared memories of the beloved teen. They released balloons, everyone cried, and really just 
found camaraderie in mourning their friend. And a lot of people didn't know her. No one knows 1,800 people. But 1,800 people. This is, how, this is how big it was in this community. Right. So they had it at the Town Toyota Center, which is an arena. And they had her family, you know, and really close friends. And everyone was sitting down in the where the ice usually is. And then the rest of us were all up in the stands. And we had shirts made at beauty school with her picture on it. And most of us wore that. And we all sat together. And it was heartbreaking like to see her parents up there and her brothers oh my gosh her brothers were just it just broke my heart in a whole nother level you know and I had actually gone to high school with her cousin so I saw her and it was numbing you know it doesn't feel like this should be happening and then we all went outside and we released balloons and there were so many pink and purple balloons it I still have a picture of it, actually, and it. I remember just crying, and the person I was with after we released the balloons just holding me, and I was standing in the parking lot, and I just lost it and was sobbing, and all my friends that were there from beauty school, we were just destroyed. So months had passed since the discovery of Mackenzie's body. A lot of us that are officers are also fathers. And when we're investigating the death of a child like Mackenzie, when we go home and see our children and think there but for the grace of God, this could happen to our child as well. It makes it tough. And it's been tough because it has been over three months now that we've been investigating this case. And we just haven't gotten that, that little break that we need to go ahead and turn the corner on this. You know, we're using every tool that we can think of. We're using uh, uh, cell phone towers to go ahead and try to locate where certain calls are made from, uh, both from McKenzie and, and certain people we've looked at during the course of the investigation. Uh, we subpoenaed phone records throughout this investigation to help us along that as well. We have used polygraph tests as a way to go ahead and, and try to figure out is this the person we need to focus more on or not. Uh, absolutely. We're doing everything that we can think to do to solve this case. How about her boyfriend? Her boyfriend was uh, interviewed early on. He was interviewed extensively. Uh, to this point, he is not as focused on the investigation either. I really think that it is time for someone to step forward and help solve this case. I know that you out there know who did this, and it's important to my family and I for you to bring that person forward. Police had interviewed more than 800 people throughout the course of their investigation. They'd gone through a ton of tips and they had actually gone from having three potential suspects to none. But that was all about to change. The police received an anonymous letter that pointed the finger at one of Mackenzie's beauty school classmates, a 29-year-old Christopher Scott Wilson. The letter stated that Chris had a quote-unquote obsession with death dead bodies, and serial killers. The police started questioning other classmates of theirs and learned that Chris had an obsession with Dexter, the TV show, and a tattoo depicting Hannibal Lecter. So Chris had actually been going to the school longer. It's The school's kind of set up weird. It's um, these groups of, they call them freshmen, come in usually like 30 to 40 at a time. And they come in, I think, four times a year, they're starting classes. And he had started before us, so he was in, you know, a sophomore range or whatever you want to call it. So the first time I met Chris, 
the first day. He was the one that led all the freshmen up to the freshman classroom. And I remember when I saw him, he, I just had that feeling, you know, like he's just too much for me. There's something that is scaring me. He was very intimidating and not like physically, but just his presence. Chris Wilson told one classmate that he used to work in funeral homes and that he, quote, liked to cut people up. We see each other, you know, every single day. We go to school Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and we're there together in this building. And it's, so you see them and run into them. I got through all my freshman training and we went down on the floor to start actually working on human hair people, clients. And we had this Halloween contest. Um, where we would dress up our mannequins and do their hair and makeup. And I remember I was working on mine, and I looked up and looked over where he was, which was directly across from me, and he had a razor blade, a straight razor, and he was cutting the face off of his mannequin. And I was so freaked out. I looked at one of my classmates, and I'm like, what is he doing? And she was like, oh, he worked at a morgue. He likes to do that kind of stuff. And I was just like, okay, I'm really keeping my distance because that is scary. He just gave me the scary, creepy, heebie-jeebie vibes. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on the realreal.com. 
The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Police re-examine the surveillance footage from the day that Mackenzie went missing, and they see that Chris left the school around the same time as Mackenzie. I think it was literally like 70 seconds after she had walked out the door. Did she go off? Like, he went through a different entrance, uh, exit, though, right? A different exit, but it was maybe a minute after. Right. It was very, very soon after her. And it turns out that three witnesses reported seeing a man matching Chris's physical description near where Mackenzie's car had been abandoned. So there's no doubt that this circumstantial evidence was interesting. We know he knew Mackenzie. He was on the tape. The surveillance tape. Yeah, the last image of her alive. And he had this serial killer obsession. But, you know, this idea that, like, that he had these, like, weird comments and he had this serial killer obsession and he had this, you know, tattoo of Hannibal Lecter. A lot of people can be considered guilty just based on this stuff. The same thing if anybody went through our Google search history oh my gosh. and saw, even for just work, yeah. and saw all the shit that we are Googling, and then you look like Billy. It's just a whole... Well, Billy is guilty <laughs> just by... Just by looking like yeah, me. Yeah, look I, at you. You know, it may have just been a classmate who was kind of creeped out by him, which is not necessarily a bad thing, too. It's just like, it's, you know, but we always want people to do that. It's just like, you know what? If you think that there, that there could be something about this guy... You know, speak up. Right. But it did seem a little bit like, you know, I look back at the West Memphis Three. It's very West Memphis Three vibes. Yes. Where they're looking at like, all right, well, who are the the outcasts? Who are the kids that are wearing black and listen to heavy metal? And then they get these 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 kids, particularly it, Damien. It's not like what West Memphis Three. This is just what we're projecting onto this because he's just a you know, like a suspect. Like, but we're just looking at it just from yeah. from the his physical appearance, right? Where it's like, oh, you're like a creepy goth loner, satanic kid, just by your looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a Hannibal Lecter tattoo, and you're yeah. really into Dexter, right? So, so the police were able to get access to his apartment that he had just moved out of. So he had moved out of the apartment he had been living in during the time of Mackenzie's murder. And they were able to look around in there, and what they found was chilling. They found a faded blood spot on the carpet, and they cut it out and sent it in for testing. And they tested it against Mackenzie's DNA, and it was a match. So why was Mackenzie's blood on this guy's carpet? The police searched Chris's phone and computer, and they found this video that had been taken by Chris's friend, Tessa. Clean Clean for... for what happening? Clean considering? 
Yeah, it's clean considering. Tessa and Chris claimed that the audio you just heard was from a video that they had taken when Chris moved out of his apartment. They said they filmed this walkthrough of the apartment as proof of how he left it so he could get his full deposit back. Chris claimed that he had a huge party at his apartment, which explains why they're saying what they said in this video. It's really clean considering what happened here. It's really clean considering considering and they're having and they're kind of snickering when they say it it's very chilling well it's like she whatever is considering she definitely knows what they're talking about yeah and they're the you can't see the visuals obviously this is an audio medium but But you can look it up on youtube i'm sure yeah it's not on youtube oh it's not you can only see it on the 48 hours oh but you they're focusing in on the bathtub which really is chilling and then zooming in to a piece of the carpet yeah it was very very weird but the police saw this video and they also knew where the blood spot was found. So they did not buy this one bit. They believe that Tessa and Chris both knew that Mackenzie had been killed in this apartment. And the police found more than just this video. On Chris's computer, they found photos of Tessa, quote, posing as a dead person on the very same spot in Chris Wilson's apartment where they found Mackenzie's blood. And when they questioned Tessa about this evidence, she claimed to have no knowledge of the blood stain, and she said that Chris had told her to pose there. But this all looks really bad. But the nail in Chris's coffin would come from a secret weapon that the police had been holding back. At the scene where Mackenzie's body had been found, the police recovered a piece of duct tape that had been used in the murder. And on that duct tape, they found unknown male DNA. And once Chris was on their radar, they tested it against his DNA, and it was a match. And it's at this point that the police really start to close in on Chris. Oh, my goodness. So we had just got to school, and we had an hour every morning up in the freshman classroom as a whole group. The entire school was there for a theory class. And we got there, and we were in theory, and then all of a sudden, someone tried to get up and go to the bathroom, and we were locked in this room. And they wouldn't let us out. And it was a couple hours, it seemed like, later that we were finally out. But the police were actually at our school getting into his locker and clearing it out. And then we found out in that time that they had arrested him. And I remember almost having like an anxiety attack. And me and a couple of the friends in our group, they actually took us into the office because we were so shook up about it. And... My boyfriend at the time came and picked me up. They locked the school and shut it down. It was the only day they'd ever shut the school down because everyone was so blown away and just scared, you know, and heartbroken and all the emotions. And to be, you know, confined in one space for so long while the police are there, it makes you wonder what's going on and confused. And we didn't have any idea it was as close to home as it was you know that was completely out of left field finally approximately eight months after mckenzie was murdered an arrest was made christopher scott wilson was taken into custody and charged with second degree murder and then he was held on a million dollars bail people who took classes at the academy of hair design with both wilson and cal say wilson was fun to be around and friendly but information released in court documents say wilson was obsessed with death dead bodies and serial killers he told people that when he worked at a funeral home he liked to cut people up it's really scary 
especially since it's right there. Christy Oldham lives right behind Wilson's apartment, and she met him a few months ago when he cut her six-year-old daughter's hair. He was really patient and really calm with her. It was, it was good. I mean, I would have taken her back, you know, to have him do her hair. Overall, the feeling of Wenatchee is shock. For some people, that shock is mixed with relief. Having something like this happen in the valley, it's, you know, it's devastating. For others, more pain. I loved Mackenzie. She was in my class. A great girl. But for this to, it's like a double tragedy. It's, you know, it's like getting slammed twice. Chris's friend Tessa was arrested also, and she was accused of helping Chris conceal the crime. But for whatever reason, those charges never came to fruition and they were eventually dropped. It makes me wonder if, because where, she, where Mackenzie was found was so far out of town and so far from where her car was found out of town. So it makes me think that there had to be someone else involved, at least moving him around you know, getting him from point A to point B. But I I don't know. It's she obviously I feel like knew more than you know, she let on. Um but for whatever reason she was never it's like they arrested her and then it she just kinda disappeared from the news for a while. So on the heels of Chris, her classmates arrest Caitlin started to think back on the months that had passed. I mean, it had been eight months. So she realized that at this memorial, Chris had attended and sort of feigned sadness. And this whole thing really repulsed her. He did. And in fact, I can't, I tried to see if I could find it. There was a picture somewhere. We all had these white shirts with her picture on it. And he showed up in beauty school gear, which was all black. (laughs) He, when he was there, he was very stoic. Um, he had a bad face, but his demeanor was kind of standoffish. It pisses me off to be, I mean, I'm sorry, but it does. Like, how can you do that? And her family and then your classmates are sitting around you and crying. And it was so heartbreaking. And you have the guts to show up and sit there. And I know that people do that but or you know killers do that but come on so now police had their guy and they had a theory they have a theory but there's no explanation for how Mackenzie and uh chris cross paths ended up i mean their theory is that she was killed in his apartment right. okay and that's an interesting theory. The last text she sent was to her boyfriend around three. She, she left the parking lot of the beauty school around three. So it, it, it's very uh, curious about how she would have ended up at the apartment. I don't know. And I, you know, I still have tons of questions about that too, because that part doesn't make sense to me to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't know how he convinced her or how exactly she got to his apartment. I have no clue. I mean, unless he knew where she was going to whatever she was doing, if she was getting coffee or something to eat or whatever it was, unless he knew if she had told him or said something to someone in here overheard, I have no idea how they would have crossed paths outside of school. 
they were friendly. I mean, we're, you know, as much as anyone else was from what I saw. The apartment was less, it was maybe a mile from the school. I know it was less than that, though. It was definitely within walking distance. And so it wasn't like it was very far or out there. And there was also um, like a little quickie stop market right there, too, that had that sold food and snacks and stuff. So she could have gone there. I don't know where she went, but so I'm completely throwing this out there. So I have no idea. But that was right next door to his apartment. I don't know. No one knows, but the police have no explanation for how she got there. Well, it is. I mean, we were talking about this before we were recording too. So it's like she was allegedly murdered in his apartment, but then her car was found 20 miles, 40 miles miles away, away, one way. Her body was found 20 miles away. So it's like, there's this triangle of where things are and there's no way to kind of piece them all together. So based on the timeline, so if the police's theory is that she was killed in the apartment, it's like the car was found the same night she went missing. So the car was abandoned first. Then the body would have had to been moved uh, because it was found four days later. So more time, you know, Um, but I think the car was important. It's like, I can't have this car near me. Yeah. Easy to find. No one's getting in my apartment. I have time to figure this out. And then, so what was interesting and that we haven't mentioned yet is, so we sold his car in April or his truck, whatever it is, but it was an unusual time to sell it. He wouldn't normally have done that. Right. No plans to sell his car. It's like if you or any of us abruptly sold our car without being like, I'm shopping for a new car. It'd be like, Why'd you get rid of your car on a whim without like bringing it up? It's an expensive thing. You bring it up. And remember, this guy is a student of these shows, at least a student of Dexter, a student Mm, of Silence of the Lambs, Um, him potentially having an accomplice or whatever, driving the car to one place, depositing the body into another place is not unheard of. And from the very beginning, Chris Wilson maintained his innocence. His defense claimed that he was being targeted because he was different and eccentric into dark hobbies, and these apparently were things that made the police single him out as a potential suspect. The defense pointed the finger at Sam and Emmanuel, the two men who had already been cleared, as the real killers of Mackenzie Cowell, who also, again, had airtight alibis. Right. And there was, they searched high and low, like, for digital evidence of this, this, snuff film yeah they got warrants to search their phones i mean their computers or everything where it's like if you were shown this if you were shown this video liz it had to have been on a phone or like there's no and also they had to have been open enough to have it somewhere to be displayed exactly yeah so his defense went as far as to claim that the police had planted Mackenzie's blood in Chris's apartment and also planted his dna on the duct tape very making a murderer we had talked about that The defense questioned the blood evidence further. They lingered on Mackenzie's injuries. One neck wound hit her jugular, which would have caused massive bleeding. And they asked if Mackenzie was killed there. Why wasn't there more blood? One other thing the defense did too, which was fascinating and fucked up, like truly. And I don't know this. Did you see this on the 48 hours, Jack? Hmm. Where when they were in the court proceeding phase, they were accusing the father and he was like crying, being like, they're naming me in this. That's horrible. It was so horrible because you can tell how distraught this family is. And it's just like, 
I get defense attorneys are a necessary evil. Like I get to, they're doing their job, but like, come on. Yeah. Like this was devastation. That's fucking. And naming the father who was having yeah. a father daughter dinner with her that night. And just, it, it broke my heart to watch it slow. So messed up. So the prosecution went back at them and they said, you know what? These accusations of the police planting evidence. No preposterous. Sam and Emmanuel, they had been thoroughly cleared as suspects, and they had multiple people corroborating their alibis. And there was an explanation for why there wasn't more blood in Chris's apartment. Remember, Chris was obsessed with this TV show, Dexter. We've all watched Dexter. But if you've never seen it, Dexter is a serial killer, and he kills bad guys. But when he does kill them, he lines the room in plastic, like overly with plastic. It's just like it's filled with plastic. It's like a saran wrap lined room. Exactly. And he does this to make sure that he's not leaving any evidence. He's incredibly meticulous in this show. And the prosecution is saying that Chris must have done this rather successfully. But some blood must have spilled onto the carpet when he was cleaning up to me you don't dna and all that there's a reason that's usable in court and there's a reason that that's what puts people away it works and it shows the science behind it and to me you can't argue with the fact that her blood was there and his dna was with her you know or close by her it's not like that's a region where that can just happen where she was found it's it's very odd it would be extremely hard to believe that that was just happenstance and there's a subject we haven't really broached upon yet and that is the matter of motive why would chris kill his classmate who he didn't know that well why would he do something like this i think honestly he just enjoyed the feeling of that control over someone else's life because i'd heard from a friend of mine that went to school there too her and one of her other friends from the school had gone over to his place one time and she had like stepped out and he had started to choke the other person. And when she came back, he stopped. But so I feel like this isn't something that was spur of the moment for him. I don't think that at all. I think that he has that in him, but has that darkness. Exactly. He loved working at the morgue. I know that he loved being around it scares you even more because it was so random. It could have been any of us at the school and it could have been any of us since then, you know, if they hadn't over the summer and stuff like there, there wasn't a reason. A psychopath is probably the closest definition to what happened with him because how else do you do that? How else do you put so many people that you know and supposedly are friends with through that and then just see it over and over every day and relish in it. After a whole lot of legal maneuvering and a lot of back and forth, Chris Wilson eventually pleaded guilty to manslaughter. He was sentenced to just over 14 years in prison. However, Chris Wilson later attempted to withdraw his guilty plea, claiming that he only accepted the plea because he felt he would not have received a fair trial. I think when they did their pre-interviews for the jurors, it was like 85% of them were like, he's guilty. 
Well, what's interesting, and I didn't get into all this, but he was offered an initial plea, which was six, six years, years, which he turned six down. Years. Six. And he turned it down. He's like, I'm He's not like, pleading I'm to something innocent. I didn't do. Yeah. And then he was offered this and he took it. Yikes. Yikes. So, all of it's yikes. Yeah. So he remains imprisoned in Washington and he'll be eligible for parole in 2023. So what we found to be very odd was obviously this plea deal. And this is, you know, Caitlin, our first degree felt the same way. It's, this is not enough time for the loss of life. She was only 17 when Chris killed her. He was 29 and, uh, Mackenzie will never get to do anything that her peers or loved ones got to do. And it's just not fair. And if you look at this case, it seems very open and shut. When you look at just everything initially, they had so much evidence why did they give him such a light sentence and plead him down to manslaughter? From what we were told is he got that because they wouldn't move the trial for whatever reason. And because it is such a small area, he or his attorney, I guess, was aware of the fact that it would be a very biased jury basically coming in with their minds made up already. So he took a plea bargain. And from that plea bargain, he got a very, very minimal sentence to the point where he'll be out in a couple of years, possibly. I, he terrifies me now, especially, but he, I don't feel like should have that ability to be out and possibly do this again. Because what's to say he isn't, <laughs> you know? My hope is that it never happens again and that this, he doesn't do anything like this again and you know, for lack of a better term, he learned his lesson. But my gut tells me that it's it's going to take a lot more than 14 years. She deserved more than 14 years. The sentence outraged those who loved Mackenzie. And those who support Chris and his innocence point to this as an indication that something fishy was going on. But for those listening, what do you think? With this question, we've come full circle and back to Occam's Razor. What's the simplest explanation? Is there one? Huge thank you to Caitlin for being our first degree for this episode. If you have a story you'd like to tell, please email us. Hello at the first degree podcast dot com. Also, we're still looking for a case for crime con. So if anybody knows anybody with a case in Florida, please let us know. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Please go buy some merch for our from our website and leave us a review on the Apple podcast app. And stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But But not not that close. close. Sources for today's episode include 48 Hours, KIRO7, Wenatchee World, KOMO News, CBS News, The Spokesman Review, Court Documents, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. I was shocked, you know? They were always such a good team, so successful. But to do something like that? To exceed their budget? While being over budget might not be a crime, it can disrupt workflows. With Monday.com, you and the team can be sure that you're all in sync. All the data, latest updates, files, and budgets are visible to everyone, so you won't miss a thing. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to another episode of Killing Time. Ooh, you didn't even stop the me. The Killing Time. No, but by the way, the, Alexa, re- I was the reason why Alexis didn't, didn't say anything is because she was drinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, she got me at a... Such as life. Such See, as, that's what I got to do. I got to get you in your most most vulnerable state, which is drinking an alcoholic beverage. After post-Shake Shack drink. I know. Okay. I think the first conversation we need to have... Now, have we had this conversation about what is better, Shake Shack or in No, out? but I, I know my answer. I think we need to have this conversation really quick in because... Okay. I'm going to rewind. We record at night and we needed food. And we only wanted to get Postmates because Alexis lives in Hollywood. It's really hard to get out there and like stop at a place to get something to eat. In and out's not on Postmates, but no. Shake Shack is. Mm-hmm. So we got Shake Shack. And now we're going to talk about our thoughts yes. and feelings. And I will say right now, I love Shake Shack and I believe it is better than In and Out. I have also said the same thing. The only reason why I'm not agreeing with you today is I've had Shake Shack a lot recently. And you know, when you just want to switch it up and you create, I'm craving in and out because I haven't had it in months because I refuse to wait in an hour long line to get in and out. Mm-hmm. But you, I love in and out. I'm team in and out all the way. Even their bad fries. I don't go there for the fries. Just, I love a burger and like a Neapolitan shake and like a couple fries mm-hmm. dipped in the shake. I don't, their burger I do not is like just, their, their shakes I, at all. the first bite of the burger is, is just heavenly. And Jack, we've had it a bunch of times, like on the way home from like Vegas or Palm Springs. Oh, you always have to have it after like a long, and it's, it's where just you perfect. deserve it. It's just perfect. Every time I have it, I never, I'm always happy after. In-N-Out Burger and Shake Shack Burger are just, it's like apples and oranges. They're too different to really compare with each other because Shake Shack's all squishy and In-N-Out is it's kind not. of it's firm it's, and Shake crispy. Shack is like a, it's almost like a potato bun. Yeah. Sort of. Oh, it's Like so a good. Hawaiian roll. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we just devoured that shit and I feel very full. But um, yeah, I guess that was my little yeah. aside. And we ordered a chicken sandwich, which we all shared, which yes. was delightful. Oh. Yeah. But we also got another piece of food. <laughs> We did for somebody that ha- um, is is experiencing some a little bit of a high right now because <laughs> not from drugs, not from drugs, <laughs> but a success. Your high. your the pre orders of your book are doing incredibly well. Yeah, the Lady Gang book, Act Like a Lady, and me and Alexis 
conspired and we got you a cake. It was so sweet. And we each ordered the book, obviously. We Thanks, does. guys. Yeah. I know. I, well, I have like three of your books, so I'd hope oh, you'd order mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you guys are so sweet. No, we were so excited. And I was OCD texting Billy about it all day. I'm like, no, no, no. When are you going to leave? Like, that's why I was like leaving late. I'm like, I was going to leave we- at like 530. And Billy's like... Um, I can be there at 610. I'm like, great. Okay. okay. But because I had to get the Prosecco for Jack. I was like, we don't have vodka and it's her celebration. She needs Prosecco. Oh, yes. guys. No, we yes. did this whole we thing. We went for it. Alexis found as Alexis was like, I gotta find a cake. I did a I did a ton of searches for places around us in like North Hollywood and Studio City. I didn't find anywhere. Alexis went a little bit more left, uh, um, more uh west. No, and you I f- went West, yeah. Is that D- West? Down Ventura, yeah. Oh, it is? And then you found an amazing cake. Please describe the cake. Alexis? You describe it. No, you describe it. Okay, your cake. I'll describe it. It's like, a, it's like a little round cake, but not too it's little. A it's a cylindrical cake. It's a cylindrical cake, and it has this like cascading hair. In, <laughs> it's like rainbow, rainbow hair. Colors. It's a unicorn. Have we just told that It's a unicorn, so it's got a long gold phallic-shaped... <laughs> object on its head and which i have to eat right doesn't give you good luck little ears and then this cascading frosting down its nape and also it has like a jerry curl in the front of frosting and then it has like sprinkles all over it and it's got little closed eyes with like eyelashes and painted on it and then we did little plaques that said we love you jack congrats on your butt it was so sweet and I was so excited. No, yes. honestly, this is like the, one of the coolest cakes I've ever right? seen. And w- I was telling the guys that like when I go to sleep and I smoke weed and I have existential <laughs> crisis, I have to just watch cook- cookie decorating videos mm-hmm. and cake decorating videos. And these are the kind of videos I watch as people that make these kind of cakes. Yeah. We should post it on our first degree Instagram. Yeah. We, we will. should. We need a good pick before we devour it. No, we really do. We should like food style it and do a, oh, like a, like a full on Like on top shoot. of those books. Oh, like something, Ooh. right? Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. We're, we're going to do it. We're getting artsy. You guys will see it. We're not going to be done recording <laughs> until like midnight. Nope. We got to do this photo shoot. Exactly. Yes. So the, when does the book come out? It comes out June. Book comes out June 2nd. All right. Pre-sale just went on this week it's like i know i'm sure you've experienced this where it's like you kind of go in blind being like i hope people buy your book like i have no nobody has anything to buy it off of i was i was talking with alexis i think it was yesterday because i was at barnes and noble and it's like walking through a bookstore is the most humbling thing you can ever do because you are literally um competing with the greatest works of that genre. You're competing against Shakespeare. You're competing against J.K. Rowling. You're yeah. competing against uh, James Elroy, like all of these people. And then there's your little book right there. Right. And it's so humbling, but you just have to be able to, to grab onto it. You're going to be doing a tour. Yeah. Um, do you know which cities that you're going to yet? Yeah, we have a list of them out on our website. All right. And then so- we're adding a few extras, but I think it's like 25 dates. Wow. Wow. And we're getting a tour bus. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is, it's so funny how the lady gang kind of has come to be what it is. Because as you guys know, I grew up in the music scene. All I wanted to do is be a rock star, but I could never be a rock star because I have no musical talent. Except we wrote a song. Except for our song. But, you know, the podcast comes out and then it's on it's on iTunes. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on iTunes. Now I'm on Spotify. And then now we're doing a tour in a fucking tour bus, which is way <laughs> nicer than Jared. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of fun because we're like living out rock star dreams. But 
it's going to be exhausting because you're doing like kind of book signings, talking. We're doing like a full live show. No, you guys are doing. Yeah. I mean, my my tours are sort of, you know, I I don't like to do them by myself. I like to get somebody that that I makes that makes sense yeah. right. and that will like interview me and, and that kind of thing. And yeah. then you do uh, the Q&A and then everybody comes up and you do the signing and then you do the pictures. And I'm very much into like if the picture doesn't come out or if I have a stupid face, we can do it again, that kind of thing. And can't have um, a bad picture of Billy out there. Cannot have a bad picture. <laughs> Billy, <laughs> you know what's liberating too. is when there are bad pictures of you and I, then you're I, like, you don't I'm care. releasing... Con- the best thing that ever happened to me is going on TV where I'm like, I have no control. And then it is what it is. Fuck it. Yes. But what I'm saying is if the, if that person doesn't like the picture, uh, well, if whatever that too, too bad. You know what though? <laughs> I will, I will retake the picture. That's nice. So what, so that'll so, stop the more success you have because you know, it'll you, be t- too time consuming. Yeah. If you're doing 500 people, like, <sighs> you know what? Hopefully, have them do a burst. Ho- hopefully, iPhones have yes. bursts and uh-huh. live. You know, it's and, really and the cute. burst gives you a m- ten photos for one. Yeah, and a live photo. Can you, so you can have a little like moving GIF. Yes. Yeah, because you can put it in a GIF generator. And, and make, I do, and I do, the, I, I do the side tilt because I'm I'm always the sort of a self, side tilt. I, I I tilt my head a little bit to like oh, make myself you're so seem, gangly? seem okay or tall. But <laughs> if you want to go gangly, <laughs> that's okay. Gangly works. Yeah, but it's more uh, accurate. But yeah. no, so I am doing for. Uh, right before yours comes out, mm-hmm. my paperback version of Chase Darkness with me comes out with photos, eight pages of photos Tight. and a new uh, chapter. Uh, and um, because a lot of stuff has happened and a lot of things have been solved since the hardcover oh, came cool, out. like an update. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm doing a tour and you can actually vote. You can go on my, uh, on my Instagram and actually follow the link in the bio to vote for where I should go to Barnes and Noble is doing a thing where there's 23 different cities that, um, that I didn't hit up for the hardcover tour and you can vote for which city I'm going to go to. And I'm going to go to, you know, about 10 of them or something like that. And so, you're doing that right before my tour. I'm doing it right before your tour. This yeah. is going to be a very interesting couple months when we're both gone for two months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be really good. Sorry. What the fuck are we going to do? I don't know. And, and, and crime Visit con each is, other. And CronCon is right before it. Visit each other and record. Like, I, I really think we're going to have to meet in cities. To, yes, like, we'll meet we cities. Might. That'll be fun. I think that'd be fun if we did like, if we did a few, just, just weekends or whatever, we yeah. fly out, mm-hmm. do like two in a weekend. We can do that. We can find you at one of your, uh, one of your tours I and mean, 25 days and you're doing, and that's the thing. It's like 25 days, but you're doing them one after another too, right? Yep. We just need I to do a we couple two-parters too. Two days off. But we don't really mm-hmm. do two-parters anymore. Like we're so succinct now that mm-hmm. we sort of, like I our know. episodes used to be. I Wait, would, let's do it. Can we ask the public or our listeners? Okay. Okay, if you've been along the ride with us since the beginning of First Degree, we've got... 81 episodes. We've come a full long This is our way. 81st? First, first. I kind of want to listen no, to our... 80, second, second. Whatever. It doesn't, 80, 80 second. something. Yeah. Doesn't really matter. But... <laughs> doesn't really matter. Alexis did all the work. It doesn't really matter. No, no it, does, it doesn't matter if it's 82 or 83. That's true, it's that's been true. 80-something episodes. Yeah. We've come a long way since the beginning. We've... We've structured out our podcast. We've gone. I mean, there was a time where our podcasts were an hour and a half long. Yes. Now we've condensed them. Then we added killing time. I just want to know from our listeners, like, are we happy where we're at now? Because I feel like us three are because we have a more succinct story. Get to the point faster. Nice I hate tight. No I bullshit. hate listening to a podcast that drags on. So we, I think we're at a good place. We also stopped the banter in the beginning and in the middle yeah. we only do killing time we save it all for that which yeah. i think is great because true crime listeners a lot of them just want to 
get to the story. And if they love us on top of that, then killing time's great. Yeah. But you can opt out. So I think exactly. that's, that's why we did that. Like, exactly. And, we and, can and, have and, serious and goofy at the same time yeah. exactly. without it without it overlapping into the two. And if we do have something to add within the story itself, we can we can add it. Like I, love, I, I talked about the Dungeons and Dragons thing and like yeah, it's just like yeah. that was germane my to that only, conversation. My only yeah. thing that I would like I would like to add, not add, but I like those moments where it's like we can kind of have a little riff. They're authentic. And then get back into the story. Yeah. yeah. Not like a whole long spiel and like whatever. I like having it, you know, this is related, little offshoot, and then we're back into the story. Totally. And I think, I mean, the evolution is just sort of learning. Like, yeah. you know, it's like we, in the beginning, we were scared to leave anything out. Like we didn't, yeah. we were new. We were like nervous about it. It's like, we better give all the information. And then I think we found sort of our voice in that. Not everybody needs to know, like, we would go into the backstory of everybody, like right. their hobbies, right? all their jobs they've had. Like, you know, it was just sort of, we made it more succinct, but. Yeah. I, and I think it, if it's relevant to what the story is, then it makes sense. But yeah. if it's like just for the hell of it, it's, I think it's better keeping things more succinct. Cause I mean, we're talking about this today. We're both trying to listen to a different podcast that I won't talk about of who it is, but sometimes podcasts can get pretty mundane and like I get very distracted if it's not to the point where you're really learning and regurgitating this, not regurgitating, but learning and um, soaking in this information. Right. And I think there's also the fact that it's a, it's audio. I mean, you don't have visuals to help mm -hmm. keep you engaged. So I think having devices that keep people engaged. Like we've segmented the episodes where it's like, we have an intro and then the intro music sort like the, the let's turn down the lights, turn up the anxiety that ends segment one and we get into segment two and then yeah. we, we section it off and that helps people like track, you know? Yeah. They're structured. People like structure. That's the one They're thing. They're dying I've for structure and boundaries. Everybody Humans love structure. They love boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's all we want. Mm -hmm. Have we killed enough time? Have we, should we call it? Yes, I think we killed enough time. 12 minutes, 41 seconds. Is that how we're going to end it? Beep. <laughs> Flatline. <laughs> I was shocked, you know. They were always such a good team. So successful. But to do something like that? To exceed their budget? While being over budget might not be a crime, it can disrupt workflows. With Monday.com, you and the team can be sure that you're all in sync. All the data, latest updates, files, and budgets are visible to everyone, so you won't miss a thing. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.